Hello and welcome to You Set the Tone, the podcast that takes an x-ray to the medical drama show ER. We examine the show with surgical precision and celebrate the high pressure and beating hearts of the show. My name is Sean. I'm Sharon. My name is Ed. And this week we are discussing Sleepless in Chicago. And that is definitely a reference to a very <laughs> tired looking Petey. Mm. Oh, um, and for previously, I'm going to say that... Ugh. Previously on ER, Green accepted the position of ER attending. Uh, he didn't actually talk to Jen about it, and in turn, Jen decided to accept a further year extension on her clerkship in Milwaukee. We have a new character alert. It's, her name is Tatiana. She's a Russian orphan who has AIDS. She was abandoned in the ER by her adoptive parents, and Hathaway wants to adopt her. Doug Ross has been getting closer to Diane Lees and her son Jake. Also on Doug Ross News, um, the previous episode, he did punch an abusive father who had kicked his daughter. So um, that's out there. And Benton has been caught between work and home again. He's been missing surgeries, changing shifts, which he's been told by Hicks he's not really allowed to do. Uh, and also Hicks, he, him and Hicks had a bit of a heart to heart where, he, you know, Benton is saying, you know, I've got my mom and she's got these issues. And, and Hicks says, you know, take a year out and come back and Benton, the look on his face is like Hicks has said to him, just go to Mars. It's like, it'll only take <laughs> two seconds, you know, like this is a foreign language to him. He does not understand. And that's your previously on ER. Very good. Thank you very much for that, Sharon. And you know what, building on that last point, although you have this dichotomy in Benton, he powerfully loves his mother. He really, mm. truly does want the best for her. But in the same breath, he would put a pillow over her face if she stood in the way of his career. <laughs> and it, it's, it, it's, it's bizarre because both both feelings inside him are so strong. And it's one of the reasons he is such an unpleasant person to work with is because he will step over yeah. anyone to yeah. advance in his career. That ambition in him, and actually in the previous episode where, where they were kind of what we discussed in the previous episode where um, he, he's playing with Doug Ross about who's got the worst job and he's kind of like we're all, uh, to be a surgeon you're all fighting to be kind of head of surgery there's nothing else and and and, and he says that and he believes that but I don't know if that is how it is for all of them mm -hmm. I, that is how it definitely is for him he's just so ambitious so this idea of kind of taking time out it's ridiculous and I guess what's what's basically so it opens kind of with him in a very bad mood um re kind of shouting at everybody and, and and Susan Lewis has this brilliant bit which is like all oh, those Dale Carnegie tapes are really working out for you and, <laughs> and Dale Carnegie for anybody who doesn't know is the he's kind of this like self-help type guy self-improvement okay. guy he he wrote the book how to win friends and influence people um mm. so I, I I quite like that reference I thought that was quite a nice little little back and forth again you know Susan just not taking it it's from him Susan all over she's yeah she's grown in confidence as we mentioned last episode and, and we'll see her in later seasons but she's she's always there with a, with a one liner she doesn't when people try to intimidate her now she does not stand for it she gives them a little put down and then walks away because she's a legend she's a bit Elizabeth Bennett so Elizabeth Bennett yeah. has a, a line where she says you know I, I, I rise with every attempt to kind of I've done that very badly, and uh, but uh, there's a quote about how anytime people try to intimidate Elizabeth Bennett, she just gets stronger, which 
is one of my favourite quotes and I've messed it up so you wouldn't believe that. But... <laughs> we'll go with That's alright, we, we forgive you. This is a safe space here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, everybody, everybody is okay. If it, Everyone's an expert in their own way. Like a certain doctor from MIT who spends most of oh, the episode lecturing <laughs> I love that segue. You are a master of the segue. You are a segue king. Um, yes, he, he, he's, he comes in and he talks to every single doctor. He has a moment where he kind of comments on every single moment that a doctor faces and talks about how they'd improve it. And he talks about this feminine model where instead of kind of, you know, fighting each other and fighting uh, different departments, each floor would be a fully staffed department and it would be a collaborative approach. And all the way through, you're like, this this guy sounds Ooh, amazing. He's a like, visionary. Oh. Yeah. This he, is it. This is perfect. What he potentially, funnily enough, he actually, uh, this is going to feel like jumping to the end of the episode, but I think he gets the line of the episode. And, you know, whatever about his story, which we'll get back to, it, it sums up the problem with Benton. It sums up the problem with some of the other doctors. Yeah. And it's the the diversion of you know humanity and the job and he's like you've got to remember you know these these are people but some yeah. people don't remember that people don't die here they code yeah yes yes that oh, seems oh, brilliant wow. where he talks about about how we they have divorced the idea of death they've got these words to really distance themselves uh, I just I thought gosh that is so true and and I guess they probably have to do that because they see so much death and it's that 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 way of kind of kind of looking after themselves but from a patient level or actually do we want to be coding yep. you know mm. do we want to take all those we want to make it clinical rather than human it, it's see, really interesting it, it is and, and uh, you see particularly I suppose Ross and Carter are probably the two doctors who are the most emotional particularly in this episode but maybe maybe overall Green seems to have the good mix he has a great bedside manner but he can also kind of switch it off yeah. uh, pr pretty easily um, Lewis probably has the best you know balance I think of all of them yeah. Whereas Benton is completely down on one side. They are yeah. slab of meat. Slab of meat yeah. on a chair or on a gurney. And I will cut where I need to cut. I will fix what I need to fix next. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that actually kind of comes up in this episode between him and Carter. Because Carter has a very different approach. And is very much about kind of trying to do that balance of pastoral care alongside uh, medical care. And that mystifies Benton he just doesn't understand it he's like no you do this and you move on exactly like you said um and and it becomes a very interesting it's a tension point between them but it's it's it becomes a very interesting way of presenting different ways of treating people I think the irony for me is that Benton spending all this time looking after his mother and being the pastoral care and then coming into to work, and he's like you say, he's a cold surgeon. He's the chop him up, get him moving. You know, I think Ben. This is a big Benton episode for me, and it really yeah. shows his 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 failings in a lot of ways. And and as this show often demonstrates, there's always consequences for the actions, and there's a big consequence at the end of this episode. Absolutely. And I think as well with this is it really shows 
kind of what happens when you're very singular minded and very ambitious and only thinking about that one thing and you kind of can't do that because there, life isn't just about that one thing and and it, I think this is a really tough way for Benton to learn to learn that so he, he's basically been shift you know missing and swapping shifts and he's been on for 48 hours with absolutely no sleep so he is just in his just a horrific mood when this opens and Hicks takes him aside and I, I love it because she's just got such a power over him and she's like you are not to perform anything else until you yeah. go to sleep you need to go down go and have a rest because you're not superhuman and as much as you you want to get through all of this and she basically benches him you know she puts him on the bench and says off off you go go and, and have a sleep and he still doesn't do it i mean oh, he is no. very very he's insubordinate because she is his superior mm. but also it's just pig-headed obstinance and it's yeah. just you know, and it is it is arrogance, you know. Mm. You know, I I am the best. I can keep going. I I what does he say at one point? I don't require that much sleep, Peter. You're human, you know. It like yeah. you you might miss, you know, four or five hours today, but your body will demand that back at some point. And there is obviously she benches him because one wrong move with a scalpel and the hospital's facing a malpractice. Suit. Exactly. And he is very very lucky in this episode as it cuts to him and he is fast asleep with a needle and thread in somebody's arm and oh, thankfully yeah. the, the person he is working on you know there's a throwaway line like ah oh, stitching up a drunk you know yeah. so your man is he's out of it as well and kind of wakes up and there's an almost funny moment of Benton's pager is going off and kind of, <laughs> oh wake up mate wake up if that what if that was a kid or yeah. you know yeah. what if that was a, or or anyone who wasn't drunk yeah you know and not That's... asleep himself and, and and it's just so dangerous you know this mm-hmm. so he ju- he just believes that he can do that but it, he's actually putting his his patients lives in 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 danger and and it also he he gets carter to kind of inform him so he, he says oh yeah. i'm going to pretend to go and lie down or whatever and he's like carter i need you if anything surgical comes in you know you come yeah. to me first and poor carter he knows that's not right but you know benton's his superior so he he has to be part of that i mean the benton moment. is so sleep deprived oh sorry benton is so sleep deprived he's actually when he's talking to hicks he's paranoid he's almost delusional that and he's talking about all the cases that he's going to miss and I've got to do these yeah. cases and Kick says that it's not a scorecard you might not be keeping score but I am I mean it's yeah it's I delusional you see shades of she's not in this episode now but Deb Chen mm. seems to be the perfect little Benton because she's exactly yeah. the same she's like yeah I need to have X amount of cases in my notepad and she runs around she at the moment seems to be handling it very very well there was a, a funny accident moment uh, before this where she accidentally shocks Carter with the, uh, with the crash <laughs> crash panels but um, and Green the, is like oh he'll be okay it was only 200 cc's or whatever he'll be fine <laughs> sleep it off I love sleep that. it off yeah. fine yeah. Um, and actually there, so Benton in his mad search to um, you know stay on top it's fueled in the opening seconds of the episode yeah. you have Carter's walking around with can only be described as a jar of guts. Uh, it's a necrotic bowel extrusion, uh, which is about as much fun as it sounds. Two feet of necrotic bowel. I would not like that for Christmas, but thanks very much. <laughs> uh, oh, but he, just... 
damn, <laughs> got to change what we got him. Uh, oh. I think what's funny is he's he the way it opens on Carter holding the that bell and he's just singing as if like he's holding something like a plant or some flowers, yeah, yeah, yeah. And not you know human guts, as you say. I love it. I, sorry, no, I phrased that wrong. I do not love that. But uh, the the way Carter starts the episode versus the way Carter finishes the episode, we'll we, we'll get to that. But so he brings the jar to poor Jerry. Um, poor you know, it's like you know, here someone's coming to get that. Jerry's like, soon, I hope. Yeah, um, please. <laughs> and then Peter walks in like a bat out of hell. Who did that? You know, you're thinking like, oh, is he annoyed that somebody's left a jar of guts here on yeah. the desk? Nope, he's annoyed that he's not the one who cut it out. Which is Benton in a nutshell. There's also a really telling line where um, he says to Carter, and this is again the idea that he feels he's superhuman, so he kind of expects that from his subordinates and people around him. So he says to Carter, you know, where's Deb? And Carter says, oh, she's she's sick. And he's, he's like, who told her she could be sick? Like, she needs permission to be sick. And uh, you don't get sick. You have to come into work. Even if you are sick, you come into work. You know, it really, it's a real tell on kind of his, his character. Just imagine a... Bane standing over Carter's shoulder. <laughs> when Deb finishes her rounds, she has my permission to die. Tom now Hardy, is not the is time to have the flu. Now is the time to treat patients. <laughs> um, I'm going to point something out that I've noticed kind of in my rewatch. Dr. Green never seems to have a pen. There are so many moments where he's like, have you got a pen? Oh, can I borrow your pen? Where it's like, Green... Come on, you've got it's a, a pocket pen thief. right here. Yeah, that's because he's running out trivial. of ink because he keeps drawing the hair on the top. <laughs> of the head. I, I know it's trivial, but I, I, I think it's another thing that we could maybe put a jar aside for every time he doesn't have a pen. We're going to have some savings. We've a jar for telling Lewis to be assertive. Yeah. We've a jar for this is a teaching hospital, and yeah. now we've a jar for every time Green doesn't have a pen. Okay, that's grand. That's Christmas sorted, lads. That's that's it. Grand <laughs> sorted. Absolutely. Um, um. So yeah, I mean, yeah. So we we've got that all going on at the hospital. Outside of the hospital, we have this scene where Carol has turned up at the orphanage. She's um, she's she's gone there to see Tatiana because she has decided she would like to adopt or at least foster her because this poor Tatiana hasn't got a lot long time to live. She's been dumped just in the ER in a strange country. She's from Russia, and we find out that Carol's actually got Ukrainian um blood oh sorry mm. russian blood sorry her mom's russian that's why she um, speaks russian so well so that so she can kind of so you see her try to you see her connect with her originally from that and then it grows so you see her visit tatiana and you know sit with her and you just see this maternal side of of carol and you see her sorry so you see see her come in talk to tatiana and read to her and you see she's been coming in and out and that she's there a lot and she's she's then making plans about how she's going to stop being charged nurse you know does somebody else want to do it because i'm going to have this tatiana you know she's very excited she's she's going to be a mother and all the way through a few you know people are like oh you're gonna oh you're gonna adopt a a, a child with aids or you know oh you're just you're just starting your marriage and you're going to adopt a child like everybody is against her mm. except for one person Mr. Doug Ross. 
We love you, Doug. Oh. We're doing well in these episodes, Doug. Keep it up. You, yeah. Oh, you are really like, I've literally had to pack my ovaries somewhere else because he's just being so beautiful at the moment. But he says to her, he's just like, so there's a moment where he's been scratched and Carol is administering and, and, and looking after him, which is a really lovely scene anyway, because mm. anytime you put these two together, and especially when they can kind of be tender, because they have such a brilliant back and forth in this history, um, they're always great scenes but you know she says oh she tells him about the Tatiana and how she wants to adopt and and he's the only one who says I think it's a brilliant idea you know you would be an ideal mom and I think you're great and it's him tapping into that thing that he sees in her that nobody else sees in her and she does it back to him at different points but this is that building you can a understand why they were together but Mm. b it's that charge again you know that like you know, wow, these two are very, like, they should be together, kind of. It builds on that. That's it, because you see him, when, when you see him in other relationships or, or with other, just with other people in general, there's, you know, he's, obviously he's different around Green, different relationship entirely, but, I mean, that, that kind of level of relaxation and, you know, he can be honest or whatever, but you don't see him like that with a lot of people. There's The charm yeah. is constantly on. Yeah. And... As a tremendously charming person myself, I can tell you that that is that is exhausting, you know, and <laughs> to have it switched on the whole time. Um, but it often it is a uh, defense, you know, like I, I'm not letting people in behind this yeah. for whatever reason. But mm. Carol was already in behind that, which is why he acts out the way that he does, which is, you know, he has acted very foolishly yeah. at some points, and yet here at the exact right moment he's like you'll be you'll be a brilliant mother and that's what she needed to hear yeah and and he meant it you you really feel like no he's like you'll be a great mom yeah he's just like yeah obviously no brainer whereas everybody else is like what he's kind of like of course you did this is what you do And, and kind of bringing up carol and doug you know they work together a lot a lot of the time she is kind of the nurse who's working with him and in this this episode has a lot of dark moments it has some great light moments but there are some real dark things so one of the first um cases that they work on is is a girl who's got a burn mark on her uh, on her hand that the mother has swearing blind oh it's a radiator she touched the radiator and doug is like i just don't believe it and they're trying to figure out what it could possibly be and carol takes the mom aside and tries to kind of get it out of her and the mom finally explains that she's been burning the daughter as a punishment because the daughter has been touching herself. Um, So you realise, ah, okay, this is abuse and terrifying. But also what it does, because the mother says, you know, my mum did it to me and she then shows a similar burn. And and it is talking about, like, as we say, all the way through ER, there are different faces of abuse and this is this is the idea introducing the idea of kind of learnt abuse you know I've been abused therefore that's kind of how you learn to then treat somebody else um and so they have to remove the daughter as you'd expect and Doug gets scratched quite so, badly like yeah, she, yeah. she gets him you mm. know um proper tiger <laughs> yeah um there was because actually just to kind of um to to, to stay on that from that that cycle of abuse it's now, obviously, we see it and we are horrified by it because there is a horrific scar on this woman's arm. And she's even, she's like, oh, it's silly, you know, I didn't even want to say. Because yeah. that's truly how she sees because it's been so normalized for her. It's how she was raised. Yeah. And 
you know, whatever it put into her head. She was like, okay, well, this is obviously an effective way of of dealing with an issue. And, you know, that the daughter is probably old enough that, you know, she's going to remember. Yeah. You know, she's going to remember this. Um, and it's, it's that idea as well. Like, I like the fact that this is... E- e- right. You would assume that... Well, like, of course, it's always just natural reaction that, you know, if you, a kid comes in with a... Uh, an injury inflicted by their parents well oh my god that's awful and you know but no a lot of of the time in the past you see like it was quite normal to hit your kids Yeah. yeah it was quite normal to you know go to bed with no supper which is you are starving your child yeah you know what i mean and I'm in a way i'm not here to pass judgment on any of that but it's just that that idea of changing ideas over time so what this woman thought was acceptable um obviously everyone else around her goes that's really really not acceptable but you wonder what did their parents do to them yeah. that might today be seen as good god like oh, yeah. no. it's not the well, that, well the that. fact that she was never removed from her mother and that she was um that she woke grew up thinking that was normal shows that society at that time probably you know didn't get involved or also thought okay that you know that's your problem you deal with your kids the way you do the fact she's still with her um and and so she gets so uh doug gets mauled and we talk about that lovely scene between carol and doug and um and and again something i want to pull out is carol so hopeful and optimistic she says i really think that the the daughter will one day be able to go back to her mum. That's what I believe. I believe the mum mm. will learn and they'll be reunited. And Doug's like, you're always hopeful. I'm the other way. You know, I don't think it will happen. And you see the yin and yang of them, but you also see that he really appreciates that about her and loves that about her, that she's just, mm. she really believes the best in people. Yeah, he, she, she is good for him in that she brings that lightness into yeah. his life, you know, behind the charm, behind the everything's going to be fine. And he, in a way, is good for her as well because he can bring a sense of realism in, but not in a beat you over the head way. You see, Lydia yeah. is the one who's oh. like, you know, oh, you're starting your marriage by adopting a kid. You're like, you know, oh, what do I know? And at its core, it might be, oh, well, I'm just being realistic with you. But Doug is able to be realistic while being optimistic that they're not mutually exclusive yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and and again you can see why they were probably you know you can see why they were a couple and and i and i like that Cause you know sometimes you 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 watch a tv show and there's a people who are supposed to be exes or, or are together and you kind of don't believe it and i really really believe it about these two not only do they have that chemistry but they Ross really and rachel <laughs> <laughs> controversial Ooh. um you know, and you just, uh, I really just believe it. And I think, again, that, that that's kind of the, the brilliant writing that yeah. that is going on here. Definitely. Um, I'm going to turn it to Carter, as I often do. Uh, it's a shock. <laughs> Why is that, Sharon? <laughs> I'd forgotten he was in this show. <laughs> I'm so going to hunt you down one day, Sean, and kill you for all these things you say. Um, so, you know, this patient comes in and he can't speak he can't he's very ill they're trying to you know get him back they're trying to communicate with him and they can't 
and they finally they save his life you know he's fine they've got into a stable condition and at that moment carter opens up his file that he's found and he realizes he's a dnr which is do not resuscitate he's obviously decided for no heroic measures because he's got terminal cancer and he wants no heroic measures but they've just heroically measured and saved his life unfortunately and then we watch this really sweet um relationship form because carter just looks after him throughout the whole episode he spends with this his um his name's Lister Klein and he stays with him and he he wants I I think I feel like when they didn't they resuscitated him I feel like Carter then was like oh gosh mm -hmm. I now feel I have to be with this you know I want to be with this person because this person didn't want to live and now he's in this situation where we've had that so he spends the whole kind of episode talking to him and we find out that he's got a son that he's trying to he's been estranged from for years and he's trying he wants to get him to come down and carter's trying to find this son and then carter's trying to make him comfortable give him books uh, sit with him talk to him um and you, there's a moment where he's talking to him and you can see benton kind of watching from yeah. outside through the slats and a bit just like again this is like alien territory to benton he's like i don't understand what it is that you're doing yeah. And then later, when when Carter's kind of filling out his his forms, uh, Benton he's doing his paperwork. Sorry, Benton comes into the uh, the doctor's lounge and says to him, "You know, you spent the whole day with this this guy, and what what was the point? You didn't learn. There's all these other stuff that was going on. You didn't learn." And and then he says to him, "You know, what? Why why do you want to yeah. be a surgeon?" And Doctor Carter says, "Because that's what I want to do." He's like, "But you don't think like one." He says, "No, I don't think like you." And I love that because I think. Uh, from watching this, I always you feel surgeons are very cut and move on. Cut, but then I realise that's only because I've only ever seen Benton, who was a Mister mm. Cut and Move On, and maybe there is another way yeah. of of you know providing that care and and good on you, Carter, for saying no. Actually, you know, I'm going to say this is the way I do it, and I'm going to stand by it rather than you know, you know let you bully me. Sitting there and taking it, I think, like. The nicest thing I guess you can say about Benton's approach is that you feel he genuinely doesn't understand. He he doesn't get why Carter sat there because it was but there was no educational opportunity yeah. in this and so therefore it was wasted time. And it was nothing to do with the fact that there was an old man who just wanted somebody to be there with him. That never even factored to Benton. Mm. And despite Sharon, as you said, so despite like, but that is exactly what he is going through at home. His mother just wants someone to be there with her. Like she obviously she needs the care, but also the company. And it's yeah. and again just to on a, on a on a grander scale, it's this idea of old people are not burdens. Yeah, you know they're they're not just I do my job and next I do my job and next. You know they are people. And Carter treats Mr. Klein like the person that he yeah. is. And Benton, he can't get to the next trauma room fast enough. He can't yeah. get to the next gurney. And then the one time he does have to stick around and look after someone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and kind of on that, you know, you see, so Benton's powering through and Carter sitting with uh, Mr. Klein and, and I think with Carter he just feels very much like you know this person he knows isn't going to live long and 
he actually says, you know, it was a day well spent because I spent it with him and then he didn't yeah. die alone. And it, it again shows that approach, but it also just tells you a little bit something about Carter there, you know, that, that kind of caring side, that noble side of wanting to, to, to be there and to, to look after his patients fully. It, it, he picked up on the social, on um, Mr. Klein's social history that, oh, I see you're an English teacher, you must like to read, and that, that informed his decision, I'm going to sit and read to you, and you get to hear Noah Wiley and his lovely speaking voice. <laughs> <laughs> Sharon's melting. <laughs> but, um, so pretty. I uh, know. So pretty. Somebody needs to resuscitate me, please. <laughs> Definitely. Although, you see, if you put DNR on your file, you might get to spend the day with Carter. Oh, oh. that's so true. Yeah. Oh, You're running that's... a risk. But, you know. Okay, yeah, I've just spun off in my head that I'm like a patient and I'm ill and he has spends a day with me and then he falls in love with me and then I pass away and he spends the rest of the season like, why? And then Subriki walks in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah. I just again it's that Carter Benton yeah. building you know another building block on this relationship and, and, and to see because I think as well for Benton I think there's there's a sense of disappointment with Carter as a, a student because he's so unlike him and there's yeah. a sense of oh you need to be just as hungry and just as as ambitious and just as ready for everything and he's always having to explain to Carter his, his motivations and you know Carter's like are you sure I should be bringing these patient cases to you and he's like Yes, because mm. that's how it should be. You shouldn't even be questioning it. You'd want to be the same, and, and no more. We can see that no more so than when when um, Carter does bring him a, a candidate, and he says, "You know, we've got this candidate," and Benta comes running out, starts trying to take him to the OR, and Doctor Green's like, "I haven't even yeah. like looked at him. That's my patient. I haven't referred him," and they end up doing this like kind of on the road, like. Ref, you assessment, know, assessment yeah. yeah, at the lift where he's like, "Go on then, assess him," because but he needs surgery and it's it, it, and the and the and the brilliant payoff I think is that actually the guy ends up passing the stone rather than Benton being able to cut him, so Benton oh, doesn't gosh. even get to mm -hmm. doesn't Howling even pain. Yeah, I think I would take the surgery. I think if oh, if I had no. the option, I'd be yeah, like, yeah, like, "Knock me out, out. go yeah. in, I'll take the recovery time." Yeah, no, um, that is not a. I've a. a slight sidebar a friend I, I worked with for, for a long time um, and if you're listening to this Mr X I'm sorry <laughs> he had three while I knew him oh, this is a year geez. and a half and, 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 and it was through him that I learned how debilitating that, that they really are and, and it's I'm delighted touch wood praise Allah everything that I never ever get one because yeah. it does seem like they're Horrendous. Oh, when you're gosh. pushing a crystal through your bladder, and ureter, urethra, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Solid. Oh, was Joe was going to say, I was going to say, solid pass from me. Lol. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Meet Segway again. Segway King strikes again. Boom. But then, uh, I mean, that 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 stone leads to one of the best moments in the whole episode, I think, where so, so all the ER staff are kind of giggling and Benton's on his way over and they're all kind of giggling and looking down. And Benton's just like, what? And then he looks and he's realised they've got the necrotic bowel and it's got ja Jagman's bowel and the next to it is that tiny little stone <laughs> and it's like... Benton Stone, and he's like, "You guys, you know, you haven't got any, you haven't got enough to do, or like, yeah, yeah. you need to get lives." 
person. But again, it's that taking the piss out of the fact that he's yeah. so serious and so... Mm. And they're trying to keep him down to earth and, you know, keep it light-hearted and, and it's just great. It's no surprise that one of the ringleaders of that little joke is uh, my bae, Susan Lewis, because she deals with that, that the con artist who comes in who said he's had a seizure because he had a champagne brunch, which sounds oh. amazing. Oh, my God. Steak I mean, and I... eggs and champagne. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Balik sees the guy, pop his eye open in a brilliant comedy moment, and then she goes, he's awake, he's awake. And then she says, oh, right, we need to get the rib spreader and... <laughs> and it's yeah. just that the guy all of a sudden feels a lot better. And then oh, he's... that coma went away. <laughs> yeah. Haven't we all done that? And I felt better. Do you know what yeah. I mean? But haven't we all done that to get out of paying a bill? Just oh, especially champagne brunches. Go into I'm on my coma. third Thor economy. Uh, <laughs> they tell me three more and I get a free one. <laughs> we stamp your card every time. Yeah. Um, yeah, that con man's a brilliant kind of... Oh, no. Uh, another kind of comedy role that's kind of threaded through the through the episode. So you, you, he comes in in a coma, and then he um, messes with Jerry to try and basically uh, you know get money. It's like he, two or three dollars. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Out of him. And then he steals uh, Green's Hello. wallet, and Green's only got six dollars, which I thought was going to get another nod to. Oh, doctors don't get paid enough at yeah. this point. Um, but. It's great because, as we said, you know, this is they've got there's some real dark moments in this episode. So having kind of that alongside Doctor Koch walking around telling everybody how to run the ER, and then the big reveal at the end with him, which is basically he's talking to Susan and offering her a job and saying all yeah, this yeah. amazing stuff, and and the two people from the psych ward come down and are like, oh, there you are, and everyone's like, no, no, he's a he, that's a doctor. What are you? Yeah, Why are yeah. you putting him in his white coat? And they're like, no, no, no. He's not a doctor. He's a he's a patient of ours. He's very intelligent. He does this, and we learn through that that he's also delivered two babies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like. I mean, we'll we look at the ethics of this in a moment, but I feel like he kind of should be a doctor. I mean, yeah. he really knows what he's talking about. Let he can either lock boards. this resource up yeah. in 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 a padded room, or get bent in some sleep. <laughs> yeah. you know? Let him operate. He'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just while we were talking there, I, I just just out of interest. Um, so the the man who comes in in a coma, the I think it's the restaurateur, says, you know, he didn't pay his bill. It's thirty five dollar a meal. Now I had a look at inflation between no. nineteen ninety five and twenty twenty, so it's actually like it's a sixty dollar breakfast. Whoa. Yeah. So in today's money, so wow. yeah, all right. I'd be wanting to make sure I could get my bill paid as well. Mm. Um, I think I might. I'm taking notes. Whenever the next restaurant's opened, I'm going to, you know, find some way to make myself foam at the mouth. And then, uh... all, all of the hospitals in your local area have got a picture of your face going, do not serve this yeah. one. It's like, he's no, no, he's, really, he's gone cold blue. No, he's done this one yeah. before. I'll ask them in the, in the ambulance, which, which hospital is taking me to? Queen Elizabeth. No. Uh, City Hospital? Yeah, can we go there? There's some uh, Birmingham hospital names for you, there you people go. out there. I was born in <laughs> Queen Elizabeth, just going to put oh. that out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so as I said, there's, you know, there's, there's these lovely kind of funny moments in the in this like tough episode because Benton is having a tough time with his, with his mum and dealing with... And in previous episodes, you'll see that 
that kind of tear there's this really beautiful moment in one of them where she's gone to the ice rink and he so she's gone missing and he finds her at the ice rink and she's kind of sitting watching kids play and she says oh Petey you know aren't you she also you should be at school because she thinks he's still young and and she does have this moment where she says to him like don't put me in a home yeah. and and I think that's where you see that and you see his face and he's such a mummy's boy anyway and you see his face and you can I can kind of understand why he's fighting so hard to try and find ways to keep her out of it because it must be so tough to sit in front of your mom who's saying please don't do that to me and then do that to her you know so I completely get why and where he's coming from with that yeah, no, I, I, I agree it's you know I thankfully I've not been in that situation where I've had to make that call but I, I can only imagine it's one of the hardest calls yeah to make because it's it's not just I mean obviously on paper it's you're doing it for their own good you know it's yeah. to get them the care that they need so it is a good positive thing but there does seem to be a finality to it mm. it's like you're you're crossing a, a barrier that you once crossed you can't come back you know once you've admitted the fact that she needs to be in a home it's very unlikely however long it would take that that person then comes out of that home yeah and I, I guess there's a, a sense of I guess there's a sense of guilt and abandonment as well you know guilt that you can't look after this person because when anybody that you love is in pain or is is hurt you want to be able to to take that away from them and to not be able to do that and to also have to put them somewhere in like an institution and sometimes you know these places aren't the nicest or the friendliest and you, you hear stories and I think it's just such a difficult decision um, but again I think for Peter because he ha hasn't been looking after her it's only these past kind of few episodes we've seen where he's actually having to start to do that he's starting to really understand a bit more even though he's still in denial yeah. why Jackie is saying what Jackie is saying you know yeah. it's the denial of it's the, the line as well between them being a vital healthy person and their inevitable decline, like you say, they're not they're not coming out of the home. That's it. That's their forever home now. It is that that brutal thing of they're not able to look after themselves. They're not vital. They're not the person I remember them to be. And it's that yeah. denial of well, it's it's my mom, and she always looked after me, but yeah. she can't. She's got to be looked after herself, and that that is a brutal, brutal decision to have to make. And now we've made ourselves depressed. We're all we sad. <laughs> We're all sad. Let's um, have a bit of a something I want to pull out there is, is I feel like again there's some little subtle digs about the pay of kind of nurses and doctors so at the beginning we see this this patient come in who's basically a trial he's he, he lends his body out for trials for medical oh, trials right, yeah. um, and and Malik finds out that this guy gets paid to do that and he's like oh how much you know you yeah, see it piques yeah. his interest because obviously he's not earning enough and then later as I said you know Dr Green's wallet gets stolen and there's only six dollars in there um I felt like that was like a little just a little subtle ah we don't, we don't pay them properly actually do you know what you're right because on that um on the, the green only has six dollars in his wallet when when he comes home, so there's there's a, a conversation between himself and Jen, mm. but he walks into, you know, what seems to be his bedroom, and he's got his his dinner, and he turns on the lights, and she's just sitting there in the dark, and is it his bedroom, 
or is it like a studio with a door just outside it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's yeah. that's the, you know, I know it's 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 brought up often, and you see, I think potentially Lewis is the first one you see living in comparative squalor again yeah. comparative 1994 Chicago squalor yeah. um, and then you see Green who is the leader of his group if you like is also like you know if she's just sitting there in the dark first of all Jen why are you just sitting there in the dark because <laughs> she's creepy like that she that is, is how she lives <laughs> but um yeah it looks like it's a studio with a corridor as opposed yeah. to again I'm not passing judgement on people who eat dinner in the bed I would be thrown out of the bed for it but <laughs> that's just this house um, but uh, but yes Green and Jen have a conversation in this episode they do yeah so this this is a real make and break episode isn't it so Doug comes out uh, Doug Wait, Doug is just on my brain constantly. You love him. Understand. <laughs> Green comes home after you know the day he's had, and he's he's got fast food in his hands. So you know he's not eating well. He's 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 um, he gets home as you say. Jen is sitting in the dark, and he, his house is quite dark anyway. And and I have to say, in previous episodes, they do show other rooms, so I don't think it is a studio because they they have a oh. birthday party for Rachel, and he comes home and yeah. there's like a dining room and things. But. It, I mean, it still doesn't seem like a nice home or a home. Um, and, and, and Jen's sitting there in the dark and and it's uh, it's the time to have that conversation that I think we all knew was coming. And that is, he's gonna stay, in, he wants to stay in Chicago and she wants to go to Milwaukee. And what's the middle point? Well, we learn in this episode, the middle point is Kenosha. Um, and that's a that's an idea that they could they could do that. But Jen, Jen doesn't like that idea because she she feels like the commute will be too much and that's too much for Rachel um, missing out. And then she says something to um, to Green, and this to me shows I, she knows exactly what she's come here to do. This isn't a decision yeah. she's made there, and there's nothing and nobody that can take it away from her. But so she's talking to Mark about the fact that he's going to stay at the hospital then. And can I say, I do find it a bit of a douche move that he accepted that position without talking to her and not considering her because, you know... Especially the situation the way that it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, it should be a partnership, your marriage. You should be considering what somebody else would think. I, I can also kind of see it from Green's point of view because I think these attendeeships are so tough to get and to be offered one where and also I think there's the idea that you might not be offered where you are so he loves this this hospital mm. we know this um it's his first priority so to get that you would just jump at it I imagine you would just be like yeah of course yeah I want mm. that um but he, he, she says this line to him and she says do you know that in seven years you've never given anything up for me and my heart just broke because I all of a sudden could see exactly what that mm. relationship has been from her point of view I think this was this was the episode where because I've been I've been hard on Jen because I'm I'm definitely I'm team green all the way but in that moment I get her I get why she's been potentially so standoffish or you know why she hasn't been I've said a couple of times like you know oh you know soon he'll be free soon he'll be free but (laughs) no I I get it here if it is true what she said that he's never given anything up for her in seven years then it's a wonder it's taken her this long 
it's the way the show is presented. So we're seeing Mark Green. We, you know, we're Team Green. He's a hero, but we're only seeing it from his perspective because of the nature of the show. And now this is the episode where we go, well, actually, as ever, he's not. You know, we're Team Jen for this episode, definitely. Yeah, he's not the best husband, yeah. and I think. I mean, I, I think it's a doomed marriage anyway, just because they seem to both want very different things and both seem to really, unfortunately, I think we're, we're, when you are in a couple, I think you, you there, are, there has to be sacrifices and there has to be, not everybody can get everything they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's why this would never work. But, but I think for Jen's side though, she's made a lot of sacrifices and then she's got to this point where she's now being able to have her career and he's not, following through he's not then going yeah you're right now it's time for you to kind of take up take it on and I can go practice medicine somewhere else so um it, it's it's a really tough watch because I think Green is really sidelined by like I don't I think he just did not expect that at all from her he's like he's coming in with all these plans and we can live in Kenosha we can do mm. this and she's just like I'm leaving you yeah, yeah. it's Again, yeah, he's just been arrogant, hasn't he? He's, he's just assumed that she's going to go along with his plan and her commuting two hours a day is, is fine. Well, it's not. It's horrible. Yeah. Um, I was b- Before we, we came on this episode, I, I, I sort of... Joking, not joking. Right, so take everything aside for the moment. Every, the, the, their relationship, what, what she's had to go through. Yeah. There, there was a moment where she's like, you want me to commute for two hours a day? Yeah. I'm, not, I'm sitting here thinking, well, yeah, it's not that bad. Like, you know, that's, that's just heavy traffic. Like, yeah. I mean, come on now, Jen, come on. But actually, in fairness, on that, if it is, that's assuming it's an hour's motorway. Yeah. Like, if that if she hits traffic, that could become three hours yeah. commuting a day. That could become four hours commuting a day. And her point is that, when am I ever going to see Rachel? Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so, we're already apart and having very busy lives and now then I we both disappear because we're both doing these long commutes and what what does she have and you know Rachel's still young at this point so you get it but she also she has said something else to Green where she says you know you just make these decisions and me and Rachel just you expect us to get up and just follow you and and you see that because he does he says yeah I'll take this I'll take the spot and yeah I'll do that and he does just I think probably because he's had that happen previously he's just expecting that it will happen again that's what literally what I was just going to say he's he's a navy brat and whenever dad went to a new base everybody went along with him and we don't know what his mum had to say about that matter because his dad was the the captain or the lieutenant or whatever you know right we're stationed in Hawaii for two years oh okay then oh now we're stationed in Arsend, Pennsylvania. Do you know? I mean, it's it's, it's, it's lovely it's like... this time of year in Arsend, Pennsylvania. <laughs> just uh, sorry to to the inhabitants of Arsend, Pennsylvania. I've heard it's got a lovely cider mill. <laughs> um, so yeah, so so Green's had that kind of that's that happened to him. But um, if we go back to Hathaway, you know, so she she wanted to foster. She wants to foster Tatiana, even Tag isn't doesn't want to do that this is literally he says the line doesn't he does it make me a bad person if i'm not on board with this and i mean whether it does or it doesn't you have to both be on board you know if you're in it's it goes back exactly to the situation of green and jen you've got it marriage is a partnership and you know maybe tag is the bad guy for not wanting to do this 
but arguably should Carol not have then held off by almost like a fight about it or whatever but have mm. not gone ahead with well unfortunately she didn't know this but unfortunately getting this little girl's hopes up yes yeah. absolutely absolutely because as as Sean's alluded to she doesn't get to have Tatiana because of her they've obviously done a background check and realized that she tried to commit suicide not that long ago I think it's been a year they say and um and they don't they're not able to place her you know with her but just going back to kind of the tag thing I don't know if he is a bad person I mean taking in a child who is a strange so you first you're getting married and you're married which change can change things and then you bring in somebody who's a whole new person in who doesn't speak English uh, is sick will probably die soon that kind of stress that you're putting on a new marriage is it is a lot and 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 I do see his point like it's wonderful and I I can imagine myself being very similar to Carol and being very like oh my gosh I want to I want to do this and I want to look after this person but it, it it's it is going to be a tough thing so I, I kind of see Tag's point of view I yes like I mean I I think I'm I'm six years married now and myself and and my husband like I think of the the struggles and you know the growth that we've gone through in six years and I would still I, I don't know if we'd be ready to foster yeah a child or, or, or adopt a child particularly one so vulnerable yes. I mean any child is vulnerable please don't get me wrong but particularly one in, in such a situation mm-hmm. as Tatiana is in and it's I, I don't want to demonize Carol at all in this, but a little bit of the I will fix all of my problems by saving this little girl. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, you know, we have that, that again, it, that wonderful moment where Doug is at home and he hears this knock on the door and he opens the door and there is Carol because that's who she goes to. Yeah. That is who she goes to, which to me is like alarm bells, Carol. You're not going mm. to your partner, you're coming here, but fine. Denial, it's very powerful and yeah. potent. And um, so she turns up and she's very upset and she says to Doug, and I guess part of the reason she turns up is because Doug was the only one who believed in her and said, you know, you could do this. So he would be the one who would really understand, whereas other people will probably be a bit like, oh, isn't it for the best? So she, you know, she she comes and she's distressed and she's crying and she's saying, you know, I've, I've lost her. She's, I haven't got her anymore. They're taking her off me. I, all because of that thing that happened and and she's letting it all on and Doug and she's very vulnerable at this moment and Doug, you know, is hugging her and then she tries to kiss him and he stops her and he doesn't take advantage. So this is a Doug, well done, awesome moment. Um, he doesn't take advantage. He does. He, he basically just kisses her on the head instead, which as we all know. You know, we are friends and nothing more. I I, I just wanted to, because um, I, I completely agree. I just realised that, just to clarify, we're glad he didn't take advantage, not because he's a vicious rapist, <laughs> but because he has professed his love for her yeah, many yeah. times, and to see this offered to him, he might be like, finally. But mm. ju- just to clarify, we're, we're not saying no. oh he didn't take advantage isn't it good that he didn't assault her in yeah. that moment that, that's what we <laughs> yeah we're not the kind of podcast that hands out medals to men who don't rape 
Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, well done, well done for not yeah, raping. For, for not rape. Yeah. So sorry, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> because this is a, a a moment that he could really swoop in, and and he, and he doesn't, and he says to her, you know, I'm going to drive you home. Cause she says, can, can I stay? And even that, I think he's like, no, actually, yeah. I'm going to take you home because, I, you know, I'm an adult now. He's grown up. He's mm. he's he's growing that's what we're seeing with him isn't you know i think the recent loss of carol and then the kind of realization with the babcocks and then the realization that linda wasn't for him and he's kind of liking this new woman but she's possibly not that interested you know that has really kind of hit home with him a little bit and he's gone oh actually uh maybe i need to change and he is it's a big sign to show how how much he actually res- really respects and does love Carol, that he doesn't see it as a, well, she is vulnerable, crack on. It's, it's yeah. you're right, it's not about him not being a rapist, it's also him about his actual deep love for her, that he's not going to use this opportunity to yeah. advance his goals. But also actually as well at this point, you know, he, he so he asked Diane Leeds out earlier in a few episodes before and she was a bit like no way I know your reputation they've kind of been growing a bit closer being a bit flirty so he asks her out again kind of a greens bidding and gets turned down but then later she does come back and she's like actually yeah you know let's 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 go out um so you know there's something also on the horizon possibly for him you know he loves kids Diane has a kid Diane he says is a very what does he call her? A very attractive woman, or a very there's something he says about her, just like she's a very exciting prospect. So, so that there's some you know hope for Doug here with with a possible love life. Um, Do we need to turn it back now to Benton? I think we need to turn it back to it, and it is it's it's crushing this. So mm. he's done everything he can. He's had fights with his boss. You know, Hicks really rakes him across the coals. He gets a little hero moment. He manages... A, 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 a cop comes in who's been shot in the heart mm. and Benton manages to save him, which is incredible. How? You know. As well as yeah, turning exactly. around and saving the person that shot him oh, as well. Yeah, so he's yeah. basically stitches one up, comes into the other, stitches the other, and Hicks comes in and says, OK, who's, you saved this. He's like, yeah. And she's like, well, then who saved that guy? And she's like, he's like, me? And you're like... See, he is oh. shit hot. <laughs> and so she, so she naturally assumes that he has taken the yeah. rest that she ordered him to take. So she says, oh, obviously that benefited you. And he kind of grins. And had the episode ended there, you know, that could have been like, oh, you got away with that one, mm. Petey. But, so the closing scene, Petey gets back to um, the family home. And we see Ving Rhames there as the Walt, the brother-in-law. And, you know, he's like, oh, Petey can't tell you how much we appreciate this. You know, we're getting a night off. Jackie and the kids, they're going to go up to, you know, cabin. He's going out on the, going ice fishing on the lake. And it's great. And Petey's like, yeah, brilliant. And then it just, so he goes up, checks out. Oh, yeah, he says, now remember, she's an early riser. She'll be up at six Mm. o'clock in the morning for her meds. So don't forget that. So, um, so he's goes up and checks on her. She's fast asleep. And then he's, absolutely zonked out on the couch and initially you're like yeah this is great and then sorry everybody you just hear Petey Petey I need my meds and we know he hasn't slept in two days and then Sharon you want to take this one yeah okay I'll do it (laughs) Um, and then you hear a fall 
Yeah. And that's what wakes him up. So he hasn't heard any of the calls and she calls for a really long time yeah. and he's dead to the world. And she she obviously then gets up because she's desperate for whatever it is she needs. And we find her crumpled kind of on the stairs and you realise she's fallen down the stairs on Benton's watch. And then the next scene is him in the ER with her. Um, yeah. And his face, it's it's just, it's so heartbreaking. Heartbra- and yeah. he can't even speak. So they're all doing their usual, you know, this is how old she is, this is what's happened, you know, this is a patient who's come in, and he's just following, and he's completely impotent. There is nothing he can do, and this was all his fault. And I think, I just think that moment, the look on Eric LaSalle's face, is yeah. it's, it, it's just brilliant acting, but it, it's just heartbreaking because uh, there's something about Peter that he just seems so strong and stuff when he's in the ER, but then when he gets with his family, you really see the little boy that he yeah. is and it's like that little boy just like lost Mommy, mommy's hurt what do i do i don't know what to do yeah it's that yeah. is that um, terif- no, terrified told. look yeah exactly consequences hey eh? yeah who needs them <laughs> yes so tough episode wow yeah heavy one of the heavier yeah, ones yeah it is a heavy one and the light points are small but thankful you know i'm grateful they're there definitely um speaking of the dark points the guy who's playing the uh, the man in the bed uh mr klein, mr. klein? yeah so it's an everybody who's been in er moment sanford meisner who uh it's got a style of acting named after him so a bit of a big deal yeah, kind of he, a big deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he came up with an acting, uh, an acting technique called the Meisner technique, which I have, I have um, sat in a workshop of and found very strange. So basically, it, it's all about trying to get out of the the actors trying to get them out of their heads and about feeling things so one of the things he would do was put you know two actors in in a space and they would be given a line each and there was no sense of right go it was they would feel when to speak and what would happen is they would be it would be repetitive so he'd only give them like a couple of lines each and they would have to keep running the scene until kind of the words became meaningless and then you find what the real emotion is in that scene and so many actors swear by it he he had a lot of like very famous students didn't he had yeah, I mean, the list, Aaron Eckhart, Alec Baldwin, Bob Fosse, Christoph Waltz, Christopher Lloyd, David Duchovny, uh, God, Carl Urban, John Voigt. Yes, I'm reading off a list off, off Wikipedia. Steve McQueen, <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer, Jessica wow. Walter, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, it's an illustrious list. Um, yeah. it, bonkers, absolutely bonkers. Tina Fey, wow, Tina Fey, okay. Didn't see that name there. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, the the technique, yeah. Apparently, it's a bit grim. This bit we were a bit uh, debating whether to put it in. So, as Sharon mentioned, the uh, the technique. Um, the, what uh, one time somebody was watching him perform the technique, and uh, he made one actor uh, say his line by giving a strong pinch on the back, and then with the female student. He uh, prompted her to say a line by slipping his hand in her blouse. Ugh. 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 <sighs> yep. Bokes all round, basically. Disgusting. So, yeah. We ain't cool. I'm <laughs> not happy with that. Um, yeah. A couple of kind of EHIBRs. Um, I've got 
Mama Benton, played by B. Richards, who had a very illustrious career. One of her most famous films would be Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which was the Sidney Poitier, Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy film. Um, I've also got Alexis Vega, who is from Spy Kids. She played the abused daughter Bonnie. And Dr. Gott is um, Robert Carradine, who's obviously from that Carradine dynasty, but he also played Lizzie McGuire's dad. Amazing. And uh, we're collecting various actors who've been in other things. Uh, Christine Harnos, who plays Jen, um, I had a look down the list, not a lot I recognised. Then I saw her name, she played Tessa in Star Trek Voyager episode Timeless. And I knew I recognised her. No, Sean, literally the, the pennies just dropped on Sean's face. Yeah, like, oh, I liked watching. I know. I was there trying to think what episode was she? In? Oh, of course, timeless. Yeah, yeah. So we're collecting Star Trek actors. <laughs> For anybody who hasn't yeah. un- got it by now, but Ed and Sean are big Trekkies. I don't know if you <laughs> yeah. sense that. Or... How very dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Says the man wearing a gold 60s era command shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't see it, but it is very glorious. It's, it it's is glorious. so comfortable. Yeah. Uh, do you have any drugs for us this week, Ed? Um, I don't have drugs, no. I've got some more medical terminology. Um, okay. Sadly, oh, you'll well. have to wait for drugs. Um, oh, okay. Delayed gratification is is so important. Um, so <laughs> you might have heard a medical term in trauma is called PEA, which mm. is pulseless electric electrical activity. And it's really hard to say, apparently. So basically, um, this is from the, the very words of Dr. Martin Xavier. No, he gave his real name away there. So there's two broad types of cardiac arrest. There's shockable rhythms, which are uh, V-fib and pulseless uh, VTAC, and non-shockable rhythms, which is PEA. So basically the heart, it has a rhythm, but it's not generating a pulse. It's just a really, there's either no contraction or a weak contraction. So it's, the heart's kind of doing something, but it's not really doing enough. So it's a sign that things are going really badly, basically. Um, So it's not treated with a shock to the heart. It's treated with CPR um, and drugs. So we did have some drugs in there. Oh, yeah, that's PEA. Thank cool. you. Love it. I love it. Um, and we're calling it. Thanks for listening to our podcast and everything ER. Don't forget, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at You Set the Tone Pod on Insta and Set Pod on Twitter. And remember, you set the tone.